0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: I've been presenting a series of programs on the book of Hebrews, and I am now in Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8 is a very important chapter. I really believe that this is a pivotal chapter in the book of Hebrews. Especially because in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1, the writer says, Now the main point in what has been said is this. I mean, that really tells you an awful lot about the writer and the letter that he is writing, that between chapters 1 and 7, he did have a lot to say, but the reason why he said all that he had to say in the previous chapters was to build a foundation of important truths that he is now going to assemble in order to express a main point. In other words, after all that he has said, this is what really matters the most. And so I believe that this is a really important chapter, that what he is about to convey is very important in context of the letter that he has written, that after all that he has said before, this is something that we should definitely give uh, some of our attention to. Again, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Now the main point in what has been said is this, We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, referring to the Lord Jesus, that he is our high priest in addition to other things, but certainly in the context of the letter that he wrote, and as this would be understood by the Hebrews, that we have a new high priest Who definitely has no place in the Levitical priesthood or in the temple, they're in Jerusalem. And then in verse 2, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Now, this is the issue, and that is that the writer is making a separation. He's causing a very, very strong division between the Hebrews who are looking to the sanctuary and the temple, the tabernacle, the place of worship. In Jerusalem, he's making a separation between the Hebrews who are wanting to cling to the Old Covenant, the Levitical priesthood, the temple in Jerusalem. He's making a separation between them and the other Hebrews who are willing to embrace the Lord Jesus as their high priest. And if they embrace the Lord Jesus as their high priest, then it is necessary for them to separate themselves from the sanctuary, from the temple... From the Levitical priesthood, from the altar there, because the Lord Jesus has no place there in the Levitical priesthood. He has no place there in the temple. Instead, according to verse 2, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 2, instead, the Lord Jesus has a place in the true tabernacle, the true temple of God, the one which he pitched, not man, Now, it can be very difficult to fully appreciate this unless you really think about the implications of this, because when we talk about things in heaven, sometimes it's very difficult for people to get a grasp on those things. It can be very challenging to really appreciate what that truly means and how that would really have an effect on our lives. And this is why. The reason why is because, for the most part, when a person considers themselves to be religious in some way, or if they believe that there's a God... In many ways, they try to associate themselves, which is perfectly understandable and reasonable. I don't have anything bad to say about this. It's just that people will have a tendency to associate themselves with others or with other buildings to the extent where they will establish buildings in such a way that these buildings are considered to be the temples of God or the tabernacles of God. And the ministers who are there, the pastors, the priests whatever they call themselves, the reverends, regardless of what they call themselves. The important thing is to understand that many people make an association with these people assuming that they are the priesthood of God, assuming that the buildings are the temples of God. In fact, in many cases, they call them the house of the Lord. You can hear this on various occasions in places such as these where people will say, isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord this morning or today, something to that effect. And I can appreciate the desire that people have to assemble together, I can appreciate the desire to have a place where they would consider it to be a holy place or a place of peace and rest, but that can easily take away, it can easily take away from the importance of recognizing the value of things in heaven, the value of the true tabernacle of God. But again, the reason why people struggle with this is because it's in heaven. It's not here. It's not something that you can touch. It's not something that you can smell. It's not something that you can walk into. It's not something that you can embrace right now, necessarily, because you cannot see it with your eyes. You cannot touch it with your hands. You cannot really participate in the things of it like you can in the temples, in the tabernacles, in the places of worship that we have today. And likewise, to speak of the Lord Jesus being the true high priest, you can't really grab a hold of him like you can with the priests that we have at our disposal here on earth. And so people will have a tendency sometimes to turn to those things that are presently at their disposal in a physical sense, rather than thinking about those things that are in heaven, because those are things that are understood in a spiritual sense. And it can be very difficult for people to truly embrace those things that are spiritual in nature when there is great competition from those things that are physical in nature. But what's important to understand here in verse 2, I believe what's really important to understand here in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 2, is that there is a true tabernacle, and that this is a tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. And when we think about this as something that's in heaven, this should not inspire us to think about it as being out of reach. We should not be inspired to think about how we are going to eventually see that in the future. We shouldn't be inspired to think about what are we going to do here in the world in the meantime, between now and the time when we actually physically die, and then we have an opportunity to see it. There's another aspect of this that I think is very critical to understand and appreciate, because without it, it can be very easy, again, to be distracted by other things within the religious world that we have at our disposal right now in a physical sense. I'm going to express it this way. If if you consider the fact that there is a tabernacle and there is a true tabernacle, that which is in heaven, and that we do not have access to it in a physical sense right now, we should actually recognize that the Lord our God does not want us to have physical access to it right now. Now, I don't believe that that's because we're defiled in some way. I believe the reason why he has set things up in such a way as that is to recognize the importance... That this is his tabernacle, this is his place of worship, and that there is no way that you can go to it to present any offerings or any sacrifices like you can in those tabernacles or those temples that are here on earth. I think it's critical to understand that, that yes, it is true that you do not have the same kind of access to the true tabernacle of God, and so you may want to go to a copy of it. You may want to go to a temporary place that you may esteem to be it, knowing that it isn't, because at least there you can perform offerings. You can present offerings. You can perform sacrifices or present sacrifices. You can do things that you believe will gain the attention of your God in the physical places that you have at your disposal right now. But the one in heaven, you do not have access to, and so you cannot present offerings and sacrifices. In fact, you're not going to be able to bring them with you when you die and go to heaven either. When you go there, you're not going to have offerings or sacrifices that you can present when you when you go there. That's only something that you can experience here on earth right now. But honestly, I believe that should tell you something. It should tell you that the Lord your God is not really interested in offerings and sacrifices, now, that's not really what he's interested in, that it may be something that you are interested in, or others who you know are interested in, that it may be something that people are interested in here in the world that we have here on earth, but it certainly is not something that the living God is actually interested in. He is not allowing anyone to have access to his tabernacle for that purpose. There's something else that's very important to consider, and that is that many people go to their churches, their temples, they go to their places not just to perform offerings and sacrifices, but also to have an opportunity to perhaps serve their God. That through participating in the things of the tabernacle, either by giving of their time or of their resources, their money, whatever they may do, they can do things in order to serve God, or at least that's what they're told that they are doing, or that's what they believe that they are doing. They believe that in order to serve God in that capacity, they need to have a temple. They need to have a tabernacle. They need to have a church. They need to have priests. They need to have a priesthood of some kind in order to have opportunities to serve their God. But when you think about the true temple, the the true tabernacle of God in heaven, There is no way that you can serve your God because you have no access to it. You have no means by which you can go into it so that you can perform services for your God. You can't even set it up. You can't take it down. You can't clean it. You can't do anything with that tabernacle because this is something that the Lord did. He personally set this up and he set this up in such a way that you have no access to it. That should tell you something about what he has in mind. And not think about this in the sense of, oh, woe is me because I cannot serve my God or I cannot perform offerings and sacrifices to him or I cannot have access to his tabernacle because he doesn't want me to be there. Don't think about it in that way. Think about it in a different way. And that is to understand that he has done this for your benefit. He has done this so that you don't get distracted by these things that can easily become deceptions. You can easily make assumptions You can easily make assumptions about what he wants, what he desires, how he wants you to relate to him, and how he wants to relate to you. You can easily make assumptions that are not true. Your God wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. And the tabernacle that he set up was only set up so that the people, the children of Israel, under Moses, could look at it, could see it, or at least those who the Lord revealed this to, can have an identification with it so that they could generate a copy of it, not so that it would be the center of all reality. He only set this up so that he could provide an illustration so that others could make a copy of it, a counterfeit of it in that sense, but a copy so that he could use that through the law that he gave through Moses in order to reveal the Messiah at a future point, so that we could have an understanding of the Lord Jesus. We can have an understanding of who He is in our lives, how He relates to us as He contrasts and compares Himself with the Levitical priesthood and the High Priest. Now, this is the main point, and that is that the comparison is over. That is the main point. That He has accomplished what He wanted to accomplish through contrasting and comparing Himself with the Levitical priesthood and the institutions that he established through Moses. But now the reality of who he is has been revealed. Who he is has been revealed in such a way that we can actually have an opportunity to know him. So please understand that in Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 and 2, the writer makes a strong division between the Hebrews who want to know the living God and the Hebrews who apparently don't, but are more interested in the things of the temple, the things of the earth, and are not so much interested in the things in heaven. Now, continuing in Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 3, it says, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. And, of course, he offered himself. That's what he offered. So that the sin issue between us and our God would finally come to an end. And then continuing in verse 4, Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law. Now, again, this is the important truth of recognizing that if he was here on earth, he would not be recognized as a priest. He has no place in the priesthood. He had no place there when he was here on earth, He has no place there now that he has ascended into heaven. And so if he has no place there, then what do we think that we have some place there for? Why would we assume that we have a place there? And I believe that the Hebrews would really be struggling with this, especially during the time that this letter was written, that the Hebrews really believed that they had a role to play there in the temple, in the tabernacle, in association with the priesthood. But they don't. They just have no place there. And in modern Christianity today, again, still, there are many people who really believe that their place has to do with the priesthoods that have been established since then. With the tabernacles and the temples and the buildings, the churches that have been built since then. And it just isn't true. Just as it wasn't true back then, it still isn't true today. You need Jesus. You need Him. Those who were here on earth, they served a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. That's found in verse 5. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, those priests who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle for sea, he says that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. The Lord said that as a warning. That's what it says. He was warning Moses. He wasn't encouraging him in the context of make sure you get lots of practice in worshiping at the tabernacle here on earth, because when you get it right, then you'll finally make it into heaven. And when you get here, you'll be fully prepared and fully trained, fully equipped in order to serve as I want you to serve. That is not what he said. And yet there are a lot of people who actually inherently, indirectly, and sometimes directly believe that. People do tend to believe that in their own subtle ways. But no, this is a warning. God warned Moses. A warning means beware, be concerned, be attentive, be careful not to use something for a purpose that it wasn't given for. Be careful not to believe something that isn't true. And when the Lord gave the pattern which was shown on the mountain to Moses and subsequently to the people, there was great risk associated with that. There was something for them to be warned about. And unfortunately, they failed. They absolutely failed to pay attention to that warning. And even during the time of the Lord Jesus and after he rose from the dead, the people still would not heed the warning. The Hebrews were not paying attention to the warning that this is nothing more Then a copy, it is a shadow of the heavenly things. It's not the heavenly things that you need to turn to the heavenly things and understand that your lack of access to those heavenly things is important. It's important. It's something to embrace. It's something to be thankful for and that your access to these earthly representations are evil when you use them as a substitute for that which is heavenly that you have failed to heed the warning. You have failed in that regard. You have sinned in that regard because you did not believe what the Lord said to Moses and you do not believe that Jesus has no place there, that he only has a place in the heavenly tabernacle. Now, having said all of this, I want you to understand that I'm not degrading or downplaying the tabernacle that Moses erected and I'm not wanting to say anything negative about the temple that was in Jerusalem. That's not my intent. I want you to understand that I certainly believe it was important. I certainly believe it had its value. My point is, is to say that you have to be careful not to use it for a purpose that it was not intended for. You have to be very careful. You have to be warned not to trust in it, not to believe in it, not to turn to it, For a purpose that it wasn't given for. It was given for the purpose of leading you to the point of recognizing that you need to be saved. That you are hopeless. That you are helpless. That you are not a good person. And you never will be. That you need the mercy of God. That was the purpose of these things. And if a person does not embrace that, if a person is unwilling to believe that, then they still need the tabernacle They still need the temple. They need more of it. They don't need to just get a little bit of it until they feel satisfied. They need to really, truly believe in what the Lord told them. Because if they will, then eventually it will lead them to the point of despair. And that's the importance of the tabernacle of God here on earth. Okay, again, in verse five, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. This is a copy. It is a shadow. It is not the real thing. That is where they serve. And they may devote their entire lives of service to something that is not the real thing. Now think about that for a minute, please. Think about how I said that. And that is that people are devoted. People are giving out of the abundance of all that they have, their time and their resources, their capital, their money. They're giving all that they have to something that is not real. It is not real. And they are serving something that is not real. And they're making claims about it that is not real. When they say things like, this is the house of the Lord, that is not real. When they say things like, this is your place where you can serve God, that is not real. When they say that this is a place where you can present your offerings and your sacrifices to God, this is not real. This is pure absolute fantasy. It is total fantasy. It is something that you have created in your own mind, not in the mind of God, has no place in the ministry that he is involved in right now. Now I understand that he makes use of churches and buildings and activities and priests and ministers. Don't get me wrong. Please, please don't misunderstand me. I do believe that he is actively involved. But according to the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 through 5, with reference to what the Hebrews were struggling with, they did not really fully acknowledge that they were living in fantasy that they were living in the shadows, that they were living in a counterfeit, in a copy of something that was not real, that they were not living in reality. And unfortunately, what has happened in many cases is that people have created a copy of this copy, that instead of having the temple in Jerusalem, they now have temples all over the place. That's what I'm referring to, that people have made a counterfeit of a counterfeit, which again, they are one further step away From that which is real. And so, while the Lord may make use of these things, let's not call them what they aren't. Let's not do that. Let's make everything perfectly clear, perfectly understandable, that the living God dwells within you. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. And He has no need for your service. For example, in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 24, this is Acts chapter 17, verse 24. Paul was speaking at the Areopagus and he said the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. I think it's really important to identify that, to recognize that. And the reason why I say it is, is because I encounter a lot of people who just don't, who really struggle with this, even to this day. Now, continuing in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, it is written, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises." Now, here's the transition. This is the main point. This is what is real. In verse 6, the Lord Jesus has obtained, he has a more excellent ministry than anyone else ever has had and ever will have. The ministry of the Levitical priesthood was good for its purpose, but the ministry of the Lord Jesus is more excellent. He has obtained that. The ministry of the high priest had its purpose, had its value, but Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry. And in many cases, as I was describing, what we have today is a copy of the copy of the Levitical priesthood. If Jesus was better than the Levitical priesthood, then he's definitely much better than the priesthoods that we have now, that it is even more excellent. In addition, in verse 6, he goes on to say, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. Now, if there is a better covenant, well, that means that the covenant that he is the minister of right now, the mediator of, is different from the other one. If it's better, then that means you can compare it. That means that there is one that is not so good and there is one that is really good. And the one that was not so good was not so good, and the one that is really good, is really good. And unfortunately, for the most part, people have no idea what this better covenant truly is, and instead are still trying to hang on to the old one. And I'll have to explain that in the next broadcast, because I'm out of time for this one. But he continues in verse 6, where he says, which has been enacted on better promises. Now, to say that there are better promises, that means that these promises are better than the promises that were offered according to the Old Covenant. Which means that they're different, that they're not the same. Because if they were the same, how could you say that they are better? It doesn't make any sense. It makes absolutely no sense at all. And if this is true, then why is it that I keep finding people turning to the Old Covenant, turning to the law, turning to the prophets, trying to find the promises of God and trying to hold to those promises, when those aren't so good, when there are better promises that have now been presented to us in light of what Christ Jesus has done. And if these are better, then why not embrace those? Why do you want to embrace promises that are no better, that are not any better, that are in fact worse, if I have to give a comparison, that are worse than the promises that we have now? And you know what's really sad is that according to the law, there was no way that you could have ever obtained any of those promises because you could have never been obedient enough to all of the commandments. And that's what it means. All of the commandments, which means if you're going to be obedient enough, that means all. And there was no way to do that. So you would never be able to obtain any of the promises, any of the promises in the Old Covenant. But that's okay because those are not as good as the promises that you can now obtain in Christ Jesus because of what he's done. Now understand that. Understand that the promises that were offered through the first covenant you could have never received. But even if you did receive them, they still would be nothing in comparison with the promises that are now at your disposal through Christ Jesus, the true Messiah of the living God.